today's episode of Trek in Time, we're going to talk about how flashbacks are dumb, a waste of time, and yet they still make me cry. That's right, everybody. We're talking about Enterprise, episode 24 of season two, First Flight. This episode aired on May 14th, 2003. Welcome to Trek in Time, everybody. As you should know by now, we're talking about Star Trek. We're watching every episode in chronological order. And we're also talking about what happened in history at the time of original broadcast. So right now, we're still talking about Enterprise. We're in the second season. We're so close, Matt. We're so close to the end of the second season. I can taste it. I can almost, I can taste season three. <laughs> Which sounds disgusting the way I said it. That. Does I apologize, everybody. I, I took that into a place that I shouldn't have gone. That's, that's bad mind meld. So who are we? I'm Sean Farrell. I'm an author. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. With me is my brother, Matt. Matt is the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel, Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. So between the two of us, we've got the storytelling, we've got the techifying, so we've got the Star Trekifying. Matt, how you doing? Uh, spring sprang and is now fully summer. It's like 90,000 degrees here in New York City, and I spent the day walking. I, I, this should let you know where I fall in the intelligence quotient meter. It hit 90 degrees yesterday, so I decided what a great day to go out, out in the city and walk around for five miles. So, no, oh, Sean. Yeah, good times. <laughs> I think I lost about nine pounds. I'm not saying I'm sweaty. I'm just saying I lost nine pounds. Mm-hmm. So as usual, we like to start the episode by taking a look back at some of the comments from previous episodes. So, Matt, what have you unearthed in the comments for us? There's a couple comments I wanted to highlight. One is from Robotrav, longtime commenter and supporter of the show. He said of the last episode, which was Regeneration, sorry guys, I fell asleep during the Wikipedia synopsis and missed the whole rest of the show. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I thought that was really funny. (laughs) Take, uh, get some coffee, Robo, because today's uh, Wikipedia synopsis. it's, Do I just strap myself it's into something this one? To, it's something to look forward to. So, oh boy, the other, the other comment was there was some uh, comments that kind of agreed with kind of our take on the the whole bringing the Borg was kind of felt like kind of mm-hmm. shoehorned in, didn't feel too great, felt like fan fiction. Mm-hmm. But then there was one from Robin Stevenson that I thought was worth bringing up. I went ahead and watched season uh, two, episode twenty three, despite your very lukewarm negative review, and I've got to say that I thought it was a great episode. P.S. I'm a fan, a fan of the original series who liked Next Generation and Voyager, but disliked Deep Space Nine and will not watch Discovery or Picard. <laughs> like he draws a line that, yeah, a line must be drawn here. Now, I think it's understandable that they wanted to do an episode that would dovetail with the Next Generation movie, First Contact. And I like the way it dovetails. It's very nifty in my book. So here's somebody in support of what the episode was doing. And I thought it was worth kind of highlighting because. Yeah, it didn't quite strike a chord with me. I think it struck a chord a little bit more with you than it did yeah, with me. And yeah, clearly with yeah. Robin, he, he was like totally on board and had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. I don't have to try very hard to see how people could enjoy it. Oh, yeah. For me, the I was on when he refers to the lukewarm slash negative, I was absolutely in the lukewarm camp and found myself kind of like nodding along to it at points because it's a little bit like, you know, a cover band. You walk in, you're like Mm -hmm. a cover band. And then halfway through their show, you're like singing along to the songs because you know who the actual band was and you're into hearing it and blah, blah, blah. Okay. I'm into it. This is great. 
So I completely get where he's coming from and I appreciate the feedback, Robin. That's, that's great information to hear. So as for today's episode, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about first flight and, and, uh oh, that's clearly a read alert, Matt. I think uh, you should get ready for the Wikipedia description on this one. Oh my God. You were not kidding. Robo Trav. This is long. Take a big gulp of coffee, Robo. Here we go. First Flight is the 15th episode of the American science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise, the 24th episode of the second season. It first aired on May 14th, 2003 on UPN. It was written by John Shaban and Chris Black and was directed by Star Trek The Next Generation actor LeVar Burton. Jordy LaForge. That's right. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet Starship Enterprise Registration NX-01. In this episode, after Captain Jonathan Archer, Scott Bakula, is informed of the death of his former colleague, A.J. Robinson, also known as Keith Carradine. He relates the story of breaking the warp 2.5 barrier with T'Pol, Jolene Blaylock, while investigating a dark matter nebula. Woo! I'm not done. He does not mention who the nebula was paid, played by. Continue, no. please. The episode was inspired by the story of the first American astronauts as seen in the film The Right Stuff. Several sets were specifically built for this episode, and a reference to the designer of the Enterprise from the original Star Trek series is included in the story three crew members from the u.s navy aircraft carrier uss enterprise cvn 65 appeared in the episode and handed over a flag from the ship to the cast and crew i didn't know that that's pretty cool yeah critical reception (laughs) to this episode was mostly positive and praise directed at scott Bakula. the episode received the second lowest number of viewers received by enterprise at this point which was blamed on it being aired opposite the season finale of dawson's creek little correction for you there. It was the series finale of Dawson's Creek. So this is literally the last time that Dawson's Creek can beat Enterprise in the ratings. This is it. And of course, you know, spoiler alert, it did. So as Matt mentioned, this episode was directed by LeVar Burton. Always capable behind the camera. I thought he did a great job on this one as well. And written by John Chabon and Chris Black. And guest appearances included... Bridget Branagh, who played Ruby, and Ruby is a character that has been referred to previously in the series where Trip and Reed have had conversations of, like, remember Ruby at that bar, yep. and this is Ruby. Yep. We finally got to see her. Von Armstrong reprised his role as Admiral Forrest, and he's also playing him as Commodore Forrest because the episode, you know, spoiler alerts, as I mentioned at the beginning is told largely in flashback. So we are supposed to be seeing a younger archer and a younger forest, and they look remarkably the same. Mm-hmm. Keith Carradine is in this episode as A.G. Robinson, and Keith Carradine is one of those actors who I never go looking for him, but whenever he shows up, I'm always happy to see him. Yeah. He's just, yeah. He's just a guy who knows how to like deliver the lines, look good on camera, does everything he's asked to do, and yep. he does it well. So, yeah, no complaints. Michael Canavan was the Vulcan ambassador and Victor Bivane was a flight controller. And as previously mentioned, this episode originally aired on May 14th, 2003. So what kind of world are we looking at at this point? Well, the number one song was Ignition by R. Kelly. So there is a flashback for you. R. Kelly, <laughs> who has since this episode has been convicted of racketeering, sexual exploitation of a child, kidnapping, bribery, sex trafficking, and violation of the Mann Act. He is also 
waiting for another day in court in California, which that trial should be happening later this summer. And the number one movie? Well, it was still X2. It added $40 million to its take, following up on its number one week the previous week. And just all things being equal, this is a movie that was directed by Brian Singer, who in the years since then has been accused by multiple people of unwanted sexual advances and sexual harassment. So lots of bad people doing lots of things in 2003. (laughs) And on television, this episode earned 3.3 million viewers, a low point for the season. But how does it stack up against the competition? Well, my wife and kids and George Lopez and ABC were getting about 9 million viewers each. Star Search on CBS. I can't wait till this program leaves the airwaves because I <laughs> refuse to admit that in 2003, there was a prime time Star Search. I just don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> but apparently 10 million people were because that's what its viewership was. Fox was pulling in 13 million on that 70s show and 25 million with American Idol. Dateline on NBC was getting 9 million. And as previously mentioned, Dawson's Creek beat Enterprise with its 7 million viewers who tuned in for a two-parter, All Good Things, Part 1 and 2. I love the fact that it used the same title as the conclusion of Next Generation. Just a little twist of the knife. They just had to get it in there. But the number one show for the week was Friends with over 25 million viewers. And in the news, I wanted to find something from the news on this day, May 14th, 2003, that would in some way tie into the kind of technological advances that they were looking for in the flashback story. The flashback story of this is humanity struggling while the Vulcans are watching over their shoulder as they're trying to build a warp engine that will actually work in a viable way to go into deep space and the trouble that they're having with getting their technology to work. It's, about, it's literally about technological advancement. It's, it's nobody is showing up trying to hold them back. The Vulcans are making rhetorical arguments against their advancements, but nobody is showing up and blowing up their plans. It is just about the struggle of making technology work. So I wanted to find something from this day in the news. And I think that I, this one hit the nail on the head for me because it also has a nice little comedic tone to it. From the New York Times on May 14th, 2003, written by Barnaby J. Fetter. Verizon sets up phone booths for internet use without wires. Verizon (laughs) Communications yesterday introduced one of the oldest items in its inventory, the humble phone booth, as its newest weapon in the bitter competition to dominate the broadband communications market of the future. Verizon said that subscribers to its high-speed internet access service would be able to go online wirelessly at no charge when they are near a Verizon phone booth in Manhattan. Verizon said that 150 phone booths from the Battery to Columbia University, had already been equipped with radio signal technology, popularly known as Wi-Fi, to enable mobile computer users who are within 300 feet of the booth to connect to the internet. About 1,000 booths covering virtually all of Manhattan and a few spots in the outer boroughs will become Wi-Fi, quote, hot spots by the end of the year, the company said. (laughs) I lived in New York City in 2003. I remember when this happened. I also remember it did not last long because these were used overwhelmingly as free Wi-Fi hotspots where people downloaded porn. (laughs) 
on to the episode. <laughs> Big picture, Matt, before we get into yes. any nitty gritty details, what were your thoughts? I'm going to sound like a broken record, but for episodes now, I've basically been saying, eh, kind of like lukewarm, eh. And at a high level, the fact that this was a flashback about will Captain Archer be hurt? Of course he's not. He's telling the story. <laughs> will the Federation, will the Starfleet not work? Of course it doesn't. He's out in space as part of Starfleet telling the story. And, oh, this character that he's with, maybe he might get hurt. No, because the, sh the show opened with them saying, he died recently. <laughs> and everybody's like, I'm sad. So it's like, there was absolutely nothing, no tension of any kind, because in yeah. the opening, cold, a cold opener of the show, they basically are like, there's no stakes in this episode at all. So let's spend 45 minutes going through a story which has no purpose. Yes. But at the same time, I did enjoy the performances. I like Keith Carradine. There were elements of the story that was fun to kind of see played out. You know right. what I mean? Like to actually see it unfold. So mm -hmm. there were aspects of it I enjoyed as kind of a fan seeing like holes in the storyline filled in. But it was a very lukewarm episode for me. It was a very bah, kind of a sad, sad trombone. I, I agree with all of that. I think that they could have added some tension by at the end of the episode, a hippopotamus could have come into the bar and eaten Ruby. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Would have. Yeah. It would have added an element of surprise and it could have taken the place of an extremely long and boring fistfight between AJ and Archer, yeah. which served no purpose. I felt like the entire point of their argument was served by AJ yelling, your father built an engine that doesn't work. Archer could have yelled back, you're a son of a bitch and I'll never talk to you again and stormed out. And the mm -hmm. same, the same level of tension would have existed. It didn't need to be a fist fight, which had, music that sounded like somebody almost like they suddenly improvised a fist fight. It was like the music was like, <laughs> like, Oh my God, this is drip. This is supposed to be action. What's going on here. It suddenly came out of nowhere. It felt very strange. And I feel like I'm going to give my response to this episode in flashback because I feel like I'm going to tell it in reverse. I got emotionally moved by to Paul's relationship with Archer at the end of the episode. Yes. That yes. was and it felt strange because I felt like maybe it was the acting. Maybe it was something about the way that she, during the episode, began to pull the story from him. Mm -hmm. And it started with her saying, if you need to talk, like the fact that she is a Vulcan started off with knowing like humans sometimes need to process their emotions in this way by verbalizing. And she deliberately tries she to, deliberately to, tries to like, she leaves yes. the door open. Would you like to talk? Yep. And she is not one who wants to talk, but she leaves that door open. And then when he does begin to talk, she is seeing the value of it for him and is teasing it out of him as he's talking. But by the end of the episode, when the, the B story in this one is effectively them looking for a black matter a dark matter nebula. What I found interesting about all of this is like, that's hard science. Like 
dark matter is a thing that is sought after by researchers. They are they are looking for what is what is the stuff that makes up the universe that we cannot see. And because there there are all sorts of calculations behind the scenes of like there's not enough matter to explain all the gravity at the center of galaxies or how all of these bodies in space are operating. That is a real thing. So the fact that this was in the story, I thought was a very cool background element to the story. I didn't think it needed to be in the foreground at all. But ultimately, the experiment that they're doing in order to find this thing is literally taking shots in the dark. They are not able to detect dark matter in any direct way. They are looking for a byproduct created by literally flares shot into space. And the fact that it is as a metaphor, he is processing his loss by going deeper and deeper into a dark place and just throwing his story into the void. And mm-hmm. she, as the witness to that story, is helping him with that. And the fact that it ended with the beautiful reveal of them seeing the response from the dark matter that they were hoping to see without even knowing what that response would look like. That's, I think, where the metaphor of the dark matter is so captivating to me because they're doing all of this without knowing ultimately what will this result in. He -hmm. is telling the story without knowing ultimately what will this result in. He's not even aware of doing this as a means of processing. And she, the scientist, is running this experiment in a certain way and at the same time is running a parallel experiment with him of keep pulling the story out, keep pulling the story out. And when you see the effect of the experiment bear fruit, you see this entire thing. The very beautiful, and this is where the writing and the acting and the directing, I thought just like everything came together in this one moment of him bringing her away from the experiment. To mm-hmm. just admire the beauty. And in this moment, it being a very powerful demonstration of their relationship, their friendship and w- working relationship is so enmeshed that they are doing this thing for each other where she is pulling out of the human the need to share the story. And he is pulling the scientist back to the world to experience. Yeah, what the universe in front of us is as opposed to what the numbers are telling us. And it's them meeting in the middle in this very, very beautiful way. And then the footnote to the entire thing, which I really, really loved. You could see it coming a mile away, but you like, I felt it was very touching. They get back to the ship and she says, well, humans have a tradition of being able to choose the name of a thing. And he immediately thinks, what do you think we're going to put our, our names on it? And she's yeah. like, well, what about Robinson? It seems appropriate. As a means of like circling back to her entire response to this as a story is, I've never heard of this man. And yet I've read extensively of the whole project of the development of warp technology on your planet. I've read all of that, and yet I've never seen this man mentioned. And this is a way to like put him back into history. We'll name this nebula the first exposure to 
the dark matter, actual hard evidence of dark matter, which is something they point out the Vulcans even debate whether it could be real. So in this moment, this discovery will then carry that name on into history. And I thought, what a wonderful set of circumstances to have, like to tie all these things together in this way, in this beautiful little effectively short film instead of an episode. The rest of it, the history, the sec- the scenes of that story were fine, but I didn't it's, find them as ultimately gripping as yes. the book ending present. The present that's, that's, mattered to me. You and I are in complete sync here because I had notes for myself of the parts of the show that I thought were hitting 10 out of 10. Anytime it was the T'Pol stuff with him. I thought it was phenomenal. And I did get a little emotional and like, wow, yeah. that's really touching, especially by the end, because it's like, you know, she she doesn't have emotions like we do. She's going outside of her comfort zone because she's trying to help a friend and a colleague mm-hmm. in a way that will, she knows will help a human, even though it's not something she would do for herself. Right. She's putting up that olive branch to try to pull him forward. And I, th- I thought that was wonderful. Yeah. And at the end with her suggesting the name it's like oh to paul you're so cool i love you to paul yeah. <laughs> it's like it, it's just a great moment but it's so the other storyline the a storyline is so weak in comparison to me much like i said in the beginning it's because like there's no tension they could have created the te- they did try to create the tension not from the plot of what was happening but from him saying there would be no starfleet without him yeah and then the st- first stories are they can't stand each other Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, why are you so sad for a guy that you can't stand? It's like they were trying to kind of tease out a different kind of tension from the the action and the things that were happening at the time, because yeah. obviously we know it all worked out. So they were trying to create things that would make it interesting. But at the same time, it's like, I'm just watching those scenes and I'm getting bored. Yeah. I, I got bored seeing this stuff, but yet there were interesting elements that were brought, that came at, came through. In the first season of the show, Archer is so anti-Vulcan. It's like, whoa, dude, dial it back a notch here. It's yeah. like, where's that coming from? Well, you see where it's coming from in this. Yeah. Because you get to see the Vulcans being very overbearing and, and how they were holding them back, yeah. which is what they've always said. You actually get to see it happen. You get to see how the Vulcans are manipulating things and making humans go much slower than they want to go. Mm-hmm. And you see it firsthand. So it gives you that kind of like, ah, I get why Captain Archer was the way he was in the beginning now, because now I've seen it. I wasn't just told, I got to see it. Yeah. And then the other side of it was, um, so you got to see some character, you got to see kind of, kind of some retconning of his character growth. Yeah. Which I thought was, in, which I thought was interesting. But again, that was not as interesting or compelling as what was happening in the real time of T'Pol and Archer on the shuttle pod. I thought that they should have probably flipped it a little bit and maybe spent more time on the shuttle Mm -hmm. with the two of them talking and a little less time in the flashback sequences. Yeah. There's a lot left to the viewer to, to do some of the heavy lifting in the present as opposed to giving us scenes. And, And one of the things that as you were talking, it occurred to me, there's another element that is revealed and and here's where I'm saying it's giving a lot to the audience to have to do some heavy lifting and connect some dots. They are very, very subtly and very indirectly revealing why in the episode 
Trip says to the Vulcans, it may have taken your species 100 years to recreate warp technology, but that doesn't mean it's going to take us 100 years. Yep. And then in the present, we see Paul multiple times saying, this experiment looking for dark matter is probably wasted time and wasted energy. We should probably turn around now. Well, we should probably turn around now. Well, we should probably turn around now. If it's not for Archer's willingness to just say, well, we've come this far. We might as well keep going. Yep. Have some optimism. She says, optimism doesn't change the physics. He's like, let's just persevere. He keeps pushing just for the idea of pursuing the goal, not because he's seeing the trail of successes that will demonstrate that the goal is achievable. Whereas she, as a Vulcan, is limiting herself to, well, if I don't see that the science is going to tell me that a thing is within reach, I'm not really going to push that barrier. So they kind of indirectly are demonstrating why it took the Vulcans 100 years to develop this technology. Because they slow walked their way there. As opposed to the human drive of, we want to get to space now. We want to do this now. So you're you're hitting on something that I think is really important that there's a lot of really good ideas. In yes. This episode. Yes. There's a lot of really good ideas. There's some very artful attempts at storytelling they were doing. There's some very interesting twists they were trying to work in. There was a subtext they were clearly trying to say. Yeah. But the, there was something I can't put my finger on it, but there was something lost in the execution yeah. where it just, it fell a little flat. Yeah. It felt a little boring. It didn't quite resonate the way it was meant to even though there were so many really good, interesting ideas that we're trying to weave in here. I can't help but think, to go back to what you'd said, a little more time spent in the present might have benefited it. And I wonder if there couldn't have been expansions in the kinds of conversation that were happening in the present. Most of the conversation in the present revolved around to Paul saying, well, what happened then? And I thought you were friends. How come you were adversaries? Like, There's a lot of conversation that's about the story. If there had been more that had been along the lines of expanding on those moments where Archer says, have some optimism, let's keep going, expand some of those with him maybe giving a knowing comment about, I know you Vulcans like to take it slow. Yeah. Like a little paralleling between the flashback and the present might have yes. brought, brought yes. that to the foreground and made the past look more important to pay attention to because it did feel very much like, oh, we've got this relationship between these two people that we know and we care about. We see them doing a thing where one of them is saying, we're not going to find squat. The other one is saying, let's keep going anyway. And while that is happening, we're seeing them reveal stuff about their relationship that is moving and touching in a way that I really enjoy. And we also have a storyline about stuff that really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And if they had done a little bit more paralleling that was evident, it might have made me say, oh, this isn't a story about the past that really doesn't matter. This is effectively the key to unlock the present. I don't know if you've seen the show Mythic Quest on Apple TV Plus. I have. Um, it's, it's a TV show about making video games. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend watching it. There's an episode in season one that is a flashback episode 
that stars none of the regular characters. Mm -hmm. And on its own, it is a work of art. It is an amazing piece of television. Just this one episode flashback with characters we've never seen before. But that entire episode reflects so strongly on the current timeline of the rest of the show that you are not only engrossed in that story because it's just so well told, you're engrossed on it in it because you are making such clear connections as to what is happening with the current video game storyline yeah. characters that we've been with. So there's this, it, it's just, for me, it, it's so well done. And this is attempting to do the same thing, but it's falling just a little flat. I think, I think you and I are both hitting on it. It feels like the balance was just dialed in just a little off. Yeah. And if they had just tweaked that dial a little bit, it would have gone from a lukewarm episode to a, oh, this is kind of a fan favorite, a heart warmer. A, Ooh, I like yeah. this. But it's like it just mm -hmm. kind of missed that mark just a little bit. Yeah. And it's also interesting because I, as much as I appreciated the present storyline, mm -hmm. I don't think this is one that you could watch just the present storyline and understand mm -mm. Nope. it it wouldn't be a complete story so it needs the flashback but it needed it needed it, something to to bring the the did, two together in a better way to relate it directly to a star trek show that basically is doing something similar here the episode of next generation where picard q takes picard and shoves him back into his life Tapestry the is he, the name of the episode. Where he gets yep. he stabbed in the chest by the, um, was, who was it that stabbed him? Nausicaan. Yeah, Dom Jock Human. Yeah. Um, that episode, <laughs> I love that with Q showing up. Is there a Jean-Luc Picard here? It's yeah. like, I, that's a great episode. Yeah. Uh, but that episode is telling a part a story from Picard's past, which we all know Picard became Picard. So it's like, what's the tension? What's the character development here? Mm-hmm. By having him go back and relive that point in his life and Q is messing with it, which means the timeline could be shifted and timeline could be screwed with if yeah. things will play out with in, in a proper fashion here. They, we, they threaded that needle in a very unique, interesting way. That's that Star Trekiness to yeah. the way they told that story. So you're watching essentially a full length flashback with Picard, but you are totally in it because it feels urgent and it has a sense of, oh crap. Yeah. And there was none, there was none of that in this episode, just absolutely none of that. So that it's, it needed something. And I think that balance that we've been talking about might've been able to help with that. Yeah. So Matt's looking for balance. I'm looking for some parallels between the, the flashback and the present in order to make those ties stronger. I'm curious as to what the listeners think. What do you think this needed in order to bring it all together in a way that might've been stronger or do you just think we're full of hot air and you thought this episode did it for you? Let us know. You can reach out through the contact information in the podcast description, or you can just go on YouTube directly below this video and you can leave your comments there. Before we sign off, Matt, is there anything you want to talk to our listeners about? What do you have coming up? I got some interesting videos coming up about some breakthrough technologies on the undecided youtube channel of mine so stay tuned i've got some interviews with some interesting people coming up so check those out as for me you can go to my website seanfarrell.com you can look for my books there there's information available about them and purchasing them you can also just go directly to amazon barnes and noble or your lo local bookstore 
My books are available at all those locations. If you'd like to support the show, please do consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you found this podcast. You can also do it on YouTube. You can like, you can leave a review, you can subscribe. If you'd like to more directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show and click on the Become a Supporter button. You can throw some coins at our heads. We do appreciate the bruises. And while you're going to trekintime.show, you can see that the website has recently been revamped. It's full big, big of revamp. it's full <laughs> of more useful information and easier to navigate through our episodes, including being able to have quick links to the audio or the YouTube version of the show. So whichever one you prefer, they're all there in one spot. Thank you so much for visiting. Thank you so much for listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye.